to wait too long, though. Ellie out of the corner for three, hit it! Mario Ellie with a three with 7.1 seconds to play. Timeout, Phoenix. <laughs> and look at him talk to the Phoenix bench. How wide open was Akeem Olajuwon on the play, though? Mario Ellie, is that the stake through the heart? For a second straight season by the Houston Rockets. Seven. We are here to fuel your Rockets news. This is Rockets Field Podcast presented by Clutch Fans. And as you see, uh, this is no normal Rockets Field Podcast. We are joined by three-time champion, junkyard dog, Mr. Kiss of Death himself, a uh, Houston Rockets legend. We are joined by Mario Ellie. First off, um, before we get into anything else, um, like I was telling before we got on, I mean, it's an honor to be able to talk to you. Um, I grew up in Houston. My whole family grew up in Houston. All we knew was pain before those championship years. So, <laughs> I mean, it's great to be able to talk to a person that had a huge part in bringing the first championships ever to Houston. So, first off, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. And um, we're all in the same family. We're part of this Rocket journey. we all Rocket fans. So, real excited to chat up with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And as you see, I'm also joined by Dave Hardesty of Clutch Fans. Thank you, as usual, for joining me, Dave. Oh, of course, sure. It's an honor to be here for sure with, with Mario. It's, uh, I'm, I'm in awe. So this is uh, I'm excited to hear uh, what he has to say. Yeah, so we're going to skip the normal intros because, I mean, like I said, this is a very special show. I just want to actually jump right into it. And I kind of actually wanted to start with um, your journey to the NBA because um, – as you know, you still follow the Rockets closely. They have um, Jay Sean Tate on the team who uh, follow a similar path to yours to the NBA. I actually want to kind of get your opinion on um, or get your thoughts on how was it uh, when you were first getting into the NBA before you even got there, you actually played overseas. How was that experience playing overseas before you actually got into the NBA? First and foremost, I just want to give you the story. Uh, I was drafted seventh round, second to the last pick by the yes. Milwaukee Bucks. Just want to give you guys a little uh, a little history about me. I was sort of a 3-4 in college. You know, I was sort of a 3-4 at 6-4, 6-5 because I was a pretty good athlete. And it's funny, just wanted to tell you this real quick. I get drafted by the Bucks. I'm the 160th pick, and there's only 162 picks in the draft. Yeah. So when And Don Nelson's the coach there. So when I get to Milwaukee camp, fellas, I'm the second shortest guy on wow. this roster. So I had to go from playing a 3-4. Don Nelson said, yeah. you're the point guard on this other team. I'm like, what the hell? It's probably the only time in my life that I wanted to get cut because I was getting hammered. I was yeah. getting moved around. So I just wanted to share that with y'all before I started my overseas journey. Absolutely. So I thought I just had a lot of work to do. I had to get stronger. I had to learn how to handle the ball, and I had to learn how to shoot. And going overseas allowed me to do all those things. So as you know, when you're an American going overseas, you have one job. That's to put it in the basket. So uh, I was getting buckets. I started in Ireland. Um, I took Once I got cut by the Bucks, I sort of took a half a year off. I'm like, man, what am I going to do? You know, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't, I didn't really know about the CBA and overseas. So a friend of mine um, had a little team that scrimmaged colleges before the college season. So I was just killing these guys. I'm mean, I get yeah. 30, 40 points every time I'm playing against these young guys. And there was one game we played at Manhattan College in New York. And there was a team from Ireland there looking for an American. And I ended up having a real good game that game. And after the game, the guy said, hey, Mario, would you like to come play in Ireland? I'm like, yeah. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I get paid and see the world. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. I didn't really know what to expect, me going to live in a foreign country. But I tell you what, man, Ireland was one of the best experiences of my life. Uh, the people were just outstanding. Uh, there was really no color barrier out there. You know, That's I would have awesome. ride the train. You know, I lived outside of Dublin. So there were a lot of Americans. Most of them were Afri African-American who were playing on teams over there. So we would meet in downtown Dublin, you know, just to chat with each other because we were just, you know, we were away from our family. So we would get together at the pub, pick up a USA Today, see yeah. what's going on in the NBA, just talking about what's going on in the U.S. 
And just riding the train, I'm the only black guy on the train, and everybody's just <laughs> yeah. so cool and nice. And um, I never been to a place, fellas, that 11 o'clock in the morning where the pub is freaking jam packed. <laughs> <laughs> And I was at, I, towards the end of the season, I was going to the pub because we only yeah. really practice once a week over there. And it was sort of easy for the Americans over there. If you look at the scoring list, it was 39, 38, 37. Yeah. <laughs> so I was averaging about 36, 37 points over there. But it allowed me to really work on my game, you know, uh, to move to the guard position. I really needed to learn how to handle the ball. Yeah. So Ireland was great. Then I moved on uh, to Argentina, where I also played guard. I was there for a couple months. Uh, then I played in, you know, with the Miami Tropics, USBL. I played in the 6-5 and under league. Played in Portugal for two years. A small town. I'm from New York City, guys. Nine yeah. to 11 million people. I go to northern Portugal in a town called Ovar, where it has one street light. <laughs> that's, a, that's a culture well, shock. how to cut my hair. Then all the Americans <laughs> would come to our town because I taught our barber how to cut, you know, yeah. how to fade and all that. Yeah. It was just, it was a great sort of life experience for me living overseas in these different environments. You know, I, I'm like, how am I going to do it? But I had a great, great time. These people were great in every stop. Portugal, I ended up staying two years there. We won the, we won the, we won the, the championship of the country that the first time this club ever won it. You know, they celebrated, man. They were ripping my clothes off. They were taking my jersey. My <laughs> I said, fellas, take everything and step my underwears. I can't be walking. Yeah. But the fans were so excited on us, ripping our jerseys off. Yeah. So that was a pretty neat experience. So I uh, played there two years. Then I felt – um I think I was ready to make a move to the league. So yeah. that's my CBA day started. Didn't happen for me my first year. Then I remember at 27 years old, at 97th in Amsterdam where I grew up, you know, my father had passed. I told my mom, this is going to be really my last year giving it, you know, trying to make it to the league. And my mom said, I believe you can do it. Go yeah. for it. And just that awesome. year, everything really happened for me that second CBA year. Oh, that's incredible. When you started playing overseas, were you thinking the whole time, I want to get back to the NBA? Or were you just like, hey, this is a good, that was the goal? That was the goal. I said, I need to work on my game, especially when I got to Portugal. Because, man, they practice for that country twice a week, five days a week. So I'm like, whoa. So I'm like, you yeah. work over here. So I really got a lot of reps with dribbling, shooting, getting stronger, getting comfortable playing the guard position. And that's sort of really, I thank overseas for really develop, developing me into a perimeter player. Like I told you guys, I was a 3-4. I was a double-double guy in high school. I'm dunking on all the guys. But as you see in the NBA, guys are bigger yeah. and stronger. So <laughs> I had to make some adjustments. And I would not take my overseas experience for granted. It helped me, like you guys mentioned, helped me become a three-time world champion. You know, it's sorry, Lashar. I was just going to say that it's probably one of the big reasons, maybe, that you had fallen in the draft because I think positions were so structured back then they couldn't see the vision of maybe, maybe they viewed you as undersized for three, four, like like you were saying, or or something along those lines. But I think in today's NBA, I mean, uh, you know, you you eventually came to came to uh, got to a point where you were ninety percent free throw shooter. That's pretty pretty incredible. It, you know what was pretty incredible? I didn't know in my nineteen ninety seven season. I went to a famous high school called Palm Memorial Academy yeah. in New York City. It's uh, where the great Luau Cinder, a.k.a. Kareem, went to, myself, Chris Mullen. They shut it down. So they had like a Hall of Fame, a Palm Memorial Hall of Fame. So I did an, like an hour-and-a-half interview with these guys maybe a week ago. And the guy told me, in 1997, Mario, you were the number one most efficient, I think, shooter in the NBA because I think wow. I shot. 42 from three, yep. 89 from the free throw line. I was top 10 on both, and I was close to a 50% from two. He said, Mary, you were the number one most efficient shooter that 97 season. Yeah. And I think Jordan was fifth. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> That's something, yeah. That same season, I was fifth in defensive player of the year voting, you know. So I think that was sort of my best year. 
in the NBA. And that was pretty neat to know those stats like that. I'm like, whoa, a guy from Division II, seventh-round draft pick, yeah. able to put up numbers like that. I never knew that until he told me. I was, like, shocked because I remember having a great year. I know I was close to 43 from three and close to 90 from the free throw line. Oh. But I, I was, whoo, I was, like, the top most efficient shooter that year. That was pretty Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that's pretty crazy considering back in the 90s, three-pointers aren't exactly like they are now where everybody's shooting threes now. I mean, back then, I mean, just shooting over 35%, I'm sure was considered, you know, you being a great shooter, so shooting over 43%, I mean, that's that's definitely pretty amazing. But I got to thank number 34 for that, you know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Big man like <laughs> David and Tim. They allow you to get those open threes. Don't 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 let that fool you. Yeah. <laughs> you try to guard that number 34 one on one, you're gonna get 50 on your head. So you know, <laughs> absolutely to go see that dream down there. And like Vernon said in our championship video, we out there salivating. <laughs> we out there salivating, <laughs> ready to shoot it, you know, to take pressure off the big man. So yeah. And actually, that's kind of where I want to go to next. Um, of course, you you play with Golden State, you play with Portland, and then you were traded to Houston. Um, when you were traded to Houston and the Rocks were coming off a, a second-round uh, exit against Seattle where they for, uh, played them to a seven games, when you got to the Rockets, did you see them as a championship team when you got there, especially after y'all started 15-0 and after that, that big-time win in New York? Did you see that this team could do something special in that year? It's funny you say that because I was with Portland at the yeah. time. We lost quickly to uh, to uh, Spurs that year. And yeah. uh, me and Vernon were friends at the time, you know. And uh, I remember driving up from Portland to Seattle to see that game seven. Um, oh, wow. It was wow. crazy. I went to go see that game seven. It was an amazing game. I just remember me and Vernon going to ha hang out with Gary Payton after the game, after they lost. When I had a couple cocktails, of course, you know how we do it back <laughs> in the old days. But yeah, it's crazy. Two weeks later, I get traded to the Rockets. It's amazing because wow. I go up and watch him play, go to support Vernon. And like I said, we hung out after the game. I remember taking a vacation to San Francisco and driving back and my phone rings. And uh, it's the GM of the Blazers. I'm like, what's going on? Something's going on. He said, man, we, we traded you. I'm like, okay, where am I going? They said to the Rockets, I'm like, are you serious? I'm going, <laughs> first thing I said was, keep Elijah one? I'm like, yes. I, I guarantee you, fellas, I was out in Portland in record time. I'm <laughs> took my, excuse me, took my ass to Houston. Boy, I couldn't wait to get down there. I couldn't wait to get down there. So it's in the player empowerment era, you would think maybe Vernon had a role in that, but was that just completely independent? Um, it, you know, it was. Because uh, Rudy talks about it. He said him and the coaching staff were watching the Blazers one time at a bar. And I guess I had a good game. And Rudy said, man, that num that guy number 17 there will be good for our team. Yeah. You know, good for our team. And to get the record straight, I always tell people I was traded, I guess, for a second rounder. But they sort of used that slot because they needed a center. I guess Duckworth left. So I think Chris Dudley. Oh, okay. You know, was for a second round it was for a slot to bring a second. so i wanted to clarify for all the fans because they said oh you were drafted for a second rounder i said at yeah. the end of the day, it was a second rounder but the blazers needed a center yeah. so that's how i ended up with houston and i and i thank rudy t every day for that i mean once i got traded down here you mentioned lance uh i just felt we did have a championship team it was a very intense camp up in galveston ball high school it was myself and Sam. Yeah. It was Ken Vernon. I mean, it was very intense in that gym. And I'm like, we got something good in here. We got really, something really good. And you mentioned, Al, we got out the gate like gangbusters, man. 15-0, and 0, fire rocket yeah. out, out the gate. I remember the big New York game. Oh, this is when the streak <laughs> is going to end. Yeah. Sorry. When you got number 34, that's not going to happen. So yeah. I came alive, you want to let put the league on notice. Let me get 37 in Madison Square Garden. Quiet mm -hmm. everybody down. It's to let Patrick Newell know I'm the best player in the league. And a story for you guys. We play Atlanta the next night to go 16 and 0. And guess what happens? Something's wrong with our plane. We don't get wow. to Atlanta to maybe 4 30 in the morning. 
Oh wow! Then it's a back to back, so uh, we might have went sixteen to know if our plane was fixed. But our plane <laughs> was messed up. We got to the ATL late, 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 and had to play the Hawks the next day, and that's when our streak ended. So. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think people realize how – I mean, that was probably one of the biggest regular season games I can remember, the hype that went into that game no beforehand. Question. Yeah, because I remember, and you mentioned, I remember their, their players were saying, you know, we don't make predictions, but there's no way in the world the Rockets are going to break the record here in New York. So to be able to go and do that, I'm sure it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. And me, growing up in New York, growing up five yeah. minutes from Madison Square Garden, Gardens on 34th Street. I grew up on 97th Street. I grew up four train stops of Medicine Square Garden. So yeah. every time I would go home, it would just be great. I had tons of people in the stands. And also like beating the Knicks also. You know, also <laughs> like yeah. poking front. So when I go back in the summer, it would be good trash talking to my buddies, even though they love me. But you yeah. know how the Knicks fans are. They oh, yeah. Going oh, on. Yeah. We're different in the East Coast. East Coast fans. It's a religion, man. They live and die <laughs> in the East Coast, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for sure. And, and and one other thing I want to ask you about that team, a lot of people, you know, of course they know about, you know, about Keem. Um, they, they know about the championship. But can you talk a little bit about the other players on the team? Because, of course, that was Sam Cassell's first year. You had Robert Ory. Otis Thorpe, who doesn't get talked about enough, um, was one of the anchors of that team. Can you talk about some of the other players on that team, uh, that you played with that was able to come together and make that championship possible in that first year? It was just an amazing group of men, you know, great, great hard-nosed guys, guys who had to sort of prove themselves. Guy, Dream was probably really the only lottery pick, him and Kenny. Yeah. We had guys who always had to prove himself. We had chips on his shoulder. Vernon was a predicted first-round pick, but he got into trouble at Florida. He ended up going late. Robert gets booed on draft night. Oh, yeah. Robert gets booed on draft. <laughs> Who this guy from America National these guys are trading for? But just tough guys. Sam Cassell, Baltimore, Dunbar, Florida State, Bobby Sura, Charlie Ward, Robert Ory, Garden Shack in the SEC, Sprewell, Caffey, Hollywood Robinson. They had maybe seven pros on the Alabama team. Yeah. Otis Thorpe, like you said, the prototypical four-man, 6'10", 260, not Draymond Green, 6'5", 220. <laughs> yeah. The game kills me with these small guys at the 45. <laughs> Drives me nuts. <laughs> uh, he had real four. Look at our front line. Robert at 6'10", Dream at 6'11", Otis yeah. at 6'10". Those were the old NBA front lines back in the day when we played. Love that physical, played inside out. Guys weren't complaining. It was just a tough brand of basketball that we didn't mind playing. You mentioned Sam Cassell. Lord have mercy. Me and Vern had to just calm him down because he wanted to get on the court so bad. <laughs> yeah. But once Scott Brooks got hurt, sorry, Scott Brooks. That was the end of Scott Brooks. Once Sam <laughs> got that minute, Scott wasn't in back, getting back in the fold. Yeah. Smith, a guy who doesn't get enough credit, man. I'm tired of how guys do Kenny wrong. Credit was a great point guard for our yeah. squad. And uh, they got a New York point guard documentary coming out at the end Saw of the month. Man. So Kenny makes a great point. New York point guards, they like to go to the rack. But Kenny was one of, mo one of the original point guards who was a shooting guard out of New yeah. York. Kenny was a very good shooter. Backcourt with Michael Jordan in North Carolina. Everybody knows Kenny's story, elite player. Uh, Carl Herrera, local oh, yeah. local guy for U of H who had great games in that New York series for us. We don't win the championship without amigos, big-time contributions off the bench. Yeah. Myself, you know, me and Sam would come off the bench. We knew what the team needed, whether it was defense, whether it was scoring. We sort of knew our roles. My guy, Chris Jen, who will dive in the 15th row for a ball. <laughs> yeah. He was on the squad that first year. Uh, Richard Petruska, Eric Riley, just great, great human beings. But the most important part of that puzzle was the orchestrator, Rudy Tom Janovich. Yeah, he allowed us. We had some rough riders on our team, but Rudy allowed us to be us. 
and we knew we had a veteran team, so we knew how to pull the reins back on guys. You know, Vernon would go off tilt a little bit, but we knew how to pull them back in. I would go off a little bit. <laughs> they would know how to pull me back <laughs> yeah. in. So Rudy T had, you know, he let us be us, but he also sort of laid the gauntlet down a little bit. You mentioned Otis Thorpe, and, I mean, people talk about Kawhi's hands. I remember Otis could you know, yeah. palm that basketball and throw it the full length of the court. is incredible. But, you know, the next season, you know, you guys are, are maybe struggling a little bit. He gets dealt for Clyde Drexler. Was that a little bit of a tough adjustment? Because I think you guys were about 500 the rest of the way. But, like, this feeling like, hey, we won the title. Give us a chance to, to stay together. But, I mean, obviously we know how it worked out. But I'm just curious if initially that was a, a bit of a shock. We're pissed. <laughs> We're pissed. Yeah. I went to. We went to war with Otis. Uh, we went to war. We won with Otis. We beat Clyde the year before in the first <laughs> round. Yeah. You know, so we bringing this guy in. We just whooped. We just whooped his ass last. Because <laughs> <laughs> we went to war with Otis. It's, yeah. Yeah. In the trade. Yeah. You yeah. guys were shocked. Yeah. Yeah. We were pissed off about it because we felt that we went to war with Otis. We won with Otis. You know, yeah. Shocked. <laughs> And um, we were we were upset, you know. Clyde yeah. came in, legs folded in the locker room, reading books, reading the New York Times. I said, "How are we gonna win with this dude?" <laughs> Even though I played with Clyde in Portland yeah. years before, and I knew he wanted to get out of there then, but shot. <laughs> Once Dream got hurt, we I, Dream was hurt a lot that season. That's another reason I thought we were in the same team. He had yeah. a bit knee surgery, knee injury. Clyde came in and held us down to the end of the season. I was like, "Yo, this dude, this dude got something on his mind. He ready to yeah. hoop." Yeah. So uh, I felt really good in the playoffs. Dream was coming back. Dream missed like twenty games, so I knew he was going to be rested going into the playoffs. I felt if we had those two playing at a high level, we had a good chance of winning the championship. We had a good chance of winning the championship. Yeah, and and speaking of those playoffs, I mean, you mentioned how Clyde started to play towards the end of the year. How was it watching in that Utah series, watching Clyde and Akeem both put up 40 points, um, if I'm not mistaken, in game four when the Rockets were down? I mean, how was it just sitting back and watching those two players put up one of the best uh, tandem performances in, in playoff history. Well, it was a lot of drama, as you guys know, that series. Vernon left the team. Yeah. One of, another key piece to the puzzle. You know, I didn't get to see Vernon. I, I remember watching the video. Sam and Kenny were trying to tell him, don't quit the squad. Yeah, He was a little hurt that Clyde came. I'm like, Vernon, you and Clyde, me and Sam coming off the bench with Kenny, we'll have the best backcourt tandem for a couple of years. Yeah. But Vern's ego wouldn't allow that to share the spotlight because Vern felt, okay, I'm the two guard. I was the second play, best player. I felt 94 behind Akeem, which I felt he was. Then here comes Clyde, all-star, great player, taking some of his minutes. It didn't sit well with Vernon because Vernon's a competitor. Yeah, But he handled it the wrong way. We would have been just a great squad if he would stay there, but he chose to leave. So we're in an elimination game, and Clyde said it in the championship video. This is pressure. They brought yeah. me to win a, to win a title, <laughs> yeah. and if they don't win, they're going to blame me. And to see him respond like that, both guys, that's why I felt when I saw when you saw that, Lance, I'm like, we got a chance to win it this year. When you got two of the top 50 greatest playing at that level, I felt really, really good, man. I mean – We've been through it in 95, boy. I mean, the first two rounds, I don't know, four or five elimination games. Yeah. I mean, we just had some hard guys that always believed in each other, that had confidence on the road. I was praying. Did Boston tie our road winning record in the finals this year? I was hoping they did it. I know we I, had nine in 95. How many Boston win this year? I don't think it was nine, but I have to go back and check. But yeah, I, I think they got close, but I don't think they got there. Okay. They, they, yeah, I'm I think it was pretty close, though. <laughs> I'm glad our record is still there. But yeah, those two guys were amazing to watch. And after that series, I felt really, really good. No matter what circumstances we're in, we got two of the best players in the playoffs playing on the same team. You know, it's it, that that run is, it's, like you said, it's a different team than the year before, even though a lot of the, the primaries are there. It's still one of the most, it's got to be the most 
uh, improbable, uh, incredible runs to, yeah. for you guys to go from the sixth seed. Go ahead. It's the number one, the hardest championship won by any champion Absolutely. history, 72.6%. So Jordan was back, so I'm tired of you. <laughs> talk about Jordan wasn't back. He was back. For 55 and Madison Square Garden, oh, he's back. Yeah. And though eliminates him, he said he wasn't there. <laughs> that nonsense. Okay. Jordan was there. Yeah. Just couldn't get it done. Elijah Wan did. Clyde did. Period. So I just wanted to make that to all the public that we had the hardest championship run. No home court. The, the lowest team we played had 58 wins. Played two mm-hmm. teams, 60 wins. We played a team with Shaq and Penny. Give us a break. And give us all love that we deserve, please. Yeah, and actually before, uh, of course, I want to talk to you about the kiss of death, but you brought up about Jordan. I mean, in the 90s, y'all probably have one of the best winning percentages against uh, the Bulls. I mean, of course, we all know how how Vernon loved to play against Michael, um, how they couldn't contain Akeem. I mean, were y'all hoping that y'all were able to get that chance to play Michael Jordan and the Bulls, because y'all knew that y'all could beat them. Because I know we, we've we heard Robert Ory also say, Kenny Smith say that y'all knew that y'all can actually beat uh, Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Yeah, we had no fear of them. You know, Michael Jordan, like Mike Tyson for some of these players, yeah. he beat them before he even even take a shot. These guys, oh, it's Michael Jordan. Who cares? He puts <laughs> on the same type of shorts we do. <laughs> yeah. Competitors here. That, that's what I loved about our Rocket squad, you know, I got into Jordan. I remember the game in 97. We came and whooped their butt, and he gave me a little credit for playing some good D on him, so I'm glad he did that. But there was no fear of Jordan on our team. That's the one thing I loved about our squad. We went against Barkley, Malone, Sean Kemp, Gary Payton, David Rodgers. The list goes on and on. One thing you can say about our squad, we fear no one. We fear no one. Being down 3-1, we talking about a team with the utmost confidence, we just we had those type of guys, those rough riders. Yeah. And Jordan will tell you, Jordan said he'll pick Hakeem. If he had a three-on-three team, Hakeem would be his first pick. So what does that tell you? Yeah. Two goats. You know what I'm saying? So I would have loved I would have loved some of Michael Jordan, boy. <laughs> Especially Scotty. So Jordan is the man. You know, I want I want some Jordan, but I would have loved for that find. That, that probably been one of the most watched finals in NBA history, yeah. Elijah won against Jordan. I mean, you can't ask for nothing better than that. Yeah, yeah, that, that would have been uh, an incredible series. I think oh my God. 97, you guys were, were very close, very close. It almost happened there. Uh, a little Ugh. bit different team, but yeah, <laughs> it was close. Um, you, you know, uh, Lashard mentioned Kiss of Death, easily the, the, the number one shot with respect to Ralph's 86 shot. Greatest shot in franchise history was, the, was your shot there. And I, I've watched it a hundred times. I think People, uh, Rocket fans, remember where they were at that moment because oh, yeah. it was such an incredible uh, shot. And every, like you said, every one of those series, it was like, okay, if the Rockets can just win this series, if they can just win this series, we didn't, we weren't thinking title. At least the fans weren't because we were just thinking, you know, uh, that, that that those days were maybe past. Yeah. What was that like in that moment? KJ misses the free throw. Kenny gets doubled, throws it uh, to Robert, and you're open there with with Olajuwon in, in the post against Shays. And it's also a little early in the shot clock. I mean, are you guys have the chance to take it down all the way? Are you are you nervous at all in that moment, or is it just instinct? Boom. It, it's an instinct. It's a basketball play. Um, they knew we would go hold for the last shot. Um, I don't know if they're going to let us hold for the last shot. That's why Danny Ains. Thank you, Danny Ains, for doubling. <laughs> and I think John Paxson is taking Danny Ains too. He did that twice. So. Kenny, sharp point guard he is, uh, gets double in the backcourt. Robert flashes to the middle. When you're playing with two of the 50 greatest of all time, they're not leaving those guys. You yeah. know, Clyde and Dream were guarded. So Robert came open, so I spaced out to the corner because Danny Ainge was guarding me. He was way in the backcourt. And what most disappointed me about Danny Ainge, he took his damn time running back. He had no sense of urgency to run back. I'm like, okay, my buddy. Okay, okay. So I got the ball. Robert's watching it in the corner. So he throws it a little high. Go up and get it. Robert thought he threw it out of bounds, but I went and got it. And I'm looking at Danny Shade. He, he's on dream like a cheap suit. He's not yeah. leaving. 
Creed. We said, you ain't passing it to this dude. <laughs> and we talked about it, guys. When you play with great players, they give you time for space and shooting. So he wasn't leaving dreams. So when I got the feet set and when he saw I was letting it go, he tried to close out. Too bad he was he was a slow white guy. He couldn't get out. <laughs> <laughs> and if I missed it, Akeem is going to get the offense. Rebound anyway. But you guys know as I go, you know how that thing felt. Everything about that shot felt good. Yeah, I didn't want to Kawhi Leonard bounce like nine times. <laughs> times then get in the basket like he did against Philly. Baby, mine hit nothing but the bottom of the net. <laughs> yep. And I looked at Joe. <laughs> And blew him the kiss of death. Bye. <laughs> and I just want a quick story. Me and Joe were messing around since game five. He'll yeah. score a bucket or a kiss on me. It was just awful fun. But your boy got the final kiss, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, I mean, in that moment, I'm sure, you know, adrenaline's going. You're probably not thinking about it. But did, did you think to yourself how iconic that shot was at the time? I and, mean, of course, we know now many, many years later that people still talk about. But in that moment, did you realize how big a shot that was? I mean, of course, it was in game seven. But did you realize how big of a moment that was, not just in Rockets history, but like in NBA history? Well, it's good. It's 55 in NBA history. I'm, I'm glad to be part of NBA history. But, when you, when you guys, when you're in a moment like that, you know who I was focused on? That Phoenix bench. Not yeah. until I sat down on the bench and decompressed – Everybody's telling me what I did. But in the moment, I really didn't feel my teammates jump. I was so locked in on the Phoenix bench and Joe Klein ready to talk a bunch of shit. <laughs> I was just, I didn't get caught up in the moment till I sat yeah. down. And the guys were like, big three, Mario. And I saw, damn, I said, I did make a big shot. Yeah. But it took me when I got to the bench. If you see the video, guys are jumping on me. I'm just steadily staring at the bench. Because I'm looking yeah. at Joe Klein. He's turning red as an apple over there. <laughs> that really that really made my day. But once I sat down and decompressed, and then after the game, back then we had pages, guys. Oh, yeah. My phone, I had I, – my phone was overloaded. I had no room on my – I must have got maybe 150 messages I had wow. to check after the game. Because, you know, in the game seven, everybody's watching. And it was a great – I just – I couldn't even get to everybody. It took me three days to answer everybody's text to get back to them. It was just a great moment. I'm like, Division Two, a guy like me, my road. I mean, I thank God for that moment every time. You know, I'm the young kid in New York in the snow, shooting with my gloves on, envisioning, envisioning stuff like this, you know. And then for it to happen, I mean, it, it was just an amazing moment. Um, I'm glad I can help my team win. And the funny thing is, I only had eight points that game. <laughs> I, I, that was I already had eight points that yeah. game. Never got to that to 46. Sam was great. Dream was great. Clyde was good. And his little old me, you know, putting the Phoenix, you know, and I just remember Charles Barkley being so mad, ready to retire, even though we know <laughs> Retired. Yeah. <laughs> and people didn't know we were down 3-1. Yeah. And two home, two road games, one of the road games, our second best players in the hotel at game five with 110 degree temperature. Yeah. I'm like, how are we gonna beat these guys tonight? But we find like we always do, we found ways to win. We just found we had guys. We just found ways to win and always believed. And I used to love our sign, Believe It. That was the little logo we had going that one year. And they said, Believe It Again. <laughs> so <laughs> we, uh, we had hardened guys in our locker room who always never gave it, never gave it. It's incredible. Did you get, did this change your life? I mean, I know you went right to the Spurs series. You, you know, you were focused, but I think as fans, it was like Mario Ellie. But after that, it was like Mario Ellie, all caps. Like, you know, this guy is a major player for the team at that point. Did it change your life? I mean, obviously you had a huge series uh, in, against the, in the finals against Orlando, played a big role. And then we talked about your 96-97 season. It just seemed like it, it was like your career before and after. Was, as far as visibility, um, that moment did it. Yeah, it did. I mean, I, I, thank, uh, I thank for that moment. I think it, it just 
instills super confidence in me. When you make a shot like that in a moment like that, especially on the road, uh, it does a lot for your confidence. I remember having a good, solid series against the Spurs. And I think Rudy just changed the, li the lineup. I don't know if it was that series or Orlando series where he put Robert at the four and started me at the two or the three. Clyde, I guess, was the two. I was the three. So I got a chance to start. And you mentioned I had a great series against Orlando. What really fueled me in that Orlando series is that me and Dennis Scott, they gave Dennis Scott the edge in a small forward matchup. Yeah. I was pissed off. I said, a one-dimensional guy? So <laughs> I took that personal, and I think at the end of that series, I clearly, clearly won that matchup. So yeah. that that I, always, I was sort of like Jordan. In there. I will always find something to get me mad, to get me yeah. <laughs> That pissed me off. I said, Dennis Scott, so I really took it personal. And we had a great final. I remember the first game. You know, we really broke their spirit when we came back. Feel bad for Nick Anderson, good friend of mine, but I thank him for missing four free throws. <laughs> but uh, after that game, we had them. We had them. They were mentally shook. After we came back from 20, beat them in overtime, the way we beat them, and uh, they were they were they were a young team, so that really hurt them mentally for the rest of the series. Yeah, actually, I want to ask you um, about the previous series, about the, the Spurs series. Um, when you're going up against Coach David Robinson, they gave him the MVP trophy. What was Elijah one like before um, before they gave him that trophy? Was it a, a a matter of he was thinking, well, that should be my trophy, or was he just laser focused? Really, wasn't worried about that. What was kind of the whole team's mindset going in that? Because I'm, I'm sure that was like some extra motivation seeing that uh, right before you played them. I saw laser focus. Um, you know how when guys go idea five before the game, they announce the yeah. start. And I dream about broke my hand. I put my hand up. So I said, somebody in trouble tonight. Somebody, <laughs> dream is always usually soft with the tap. That dude, boy, he came through. Bow! Like, oh, and you saw it on the floor. It's yeah. a proud man, and and you embarrassed him by giving the trophy. That's the worst thing that ever happened to the Spurs. Y'all giving the trophy out before that series. They should have did it in the semifinals. It may be a different result. Yeah. But you giving that trophy in front of the guy who got it before and was looking the whole time when that man received the trophy. And I never seen him so, so locked in. Yeah. And for a guy to perform at that elite level, against the MVP, no home court, and 35-14-5. Those are insane yeah. numbers. Those are, you got Dennis Rodman. You got Sean Elliott. You got David Robinson. You got Doc Rivers. You got Avery Johnson. I mean, they had a good, good team. They won 65 games that year. You yeah. got the MVP on the squad. But the heart of a champion, I give the Spurs credit. We went there and got two. They came right to the to the summit and got two right back. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're in for a series here. And then we end up putting the finishing touches the last two games and against, of course, game six. Just a lot. I mean, I thank God every day that I play with some of the greatest players to ever play because I'm a fan also. I'm on the court playing with Elijah Wan. I played with this man five years. I mean, he may have had two or three bad games in those five years. That's how elite this <laughs> was on a nightly basis, getting double and triple team. Y'all saw what the Knicks were doing to him. They were trying to beat him up. But he endured all that. His just mental toughness. I mean, I thank God every day that they put Elijah on. They put Elijah on in my life. I mean, playing with that guy, playing with Vernon, playing with Sam and Kenny, playing with that group. Just an amazing group. And like you guys mentioned, I walk around to Houston. I'm going to be 59 in November. And people remember our championship days like yeah. yesterday. And you you guys put that kiss of death. I got chill bumps watching it. <laughs> you guys put it on in the promo. But just a great group of men. And Dream, they got him listed at 13th all time. I don't I don't buy into that. Yeah, no and dominate on both ends of the floor. Shaq, okay, you were dominant. But you didn't have the moves Dream had. You didn't have the defensive impact. Kevin Durant, all you guys you got in front of Dream, stop doing that. Stop <laughs> it. Stop it. This dude is a top 10 player in history, period. Period. 
I don't want to Durant, Shaq, and Curry. Don't get caught up in all that when guys play one end of the floor. This dude dominated on both ends of the floor. He's a top 10 of all time, period. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I say that all the time. I try to point that out, that he's like one of the only players to be yeah. top 15 in multiple categories on offense and defense. So, yeah, it's it's just crazy how people forget how great. I mean, Olajuwon was just great on defense. I mean, he was one of the best players all the time on offense as well. And Olajuwon is a top 10 in steals all the time. Exactly, yeah. Big man is 60 or 70th. He's in there with guards. <laughs> yeah. He's in there with Clyde, George, Stockton. He's a top 10 in steals. How is this man not a top 10 player? We ain't going to talk about number one in blocks. We already know that. Yeah. But he's a top 10 in steals. Yeah. All <laughs> time. Like, how you got this man 13? Man, please. Y'all <laughs> Well, I was gonna say, but I would I hate to push you on the spot because these are all your friends. And but like you played with David Robinson, you played with Tim Duncan. You, I you... played with these guys. To me, Tim, 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 and Dream deserve a top ten. I know people don't like the way Tim went about his business. Come on, man, this dude having 24, 20, 10 assists, eight blocks. He just ain't like the fanfare, man. Tim Duncan is Elijah Wan. To me, should be on the top. I mean, what? Uh, both of them, what? Fourteen all defensive teams. I mean, it's ridiculous. Defensive Player of the Year, MVP. I mean, those two guys, man, just the. I mean, great players, man. Just great players. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you for because a lot of the people that watch the Rockets now, a lot of them weren't even born when the Rockets won the championship. But can you tell how the city was after that? I mean, of course, after the first championship, but then after the second championship, can you tell you how how great the city was at that time after y'all won that second championship? Man, uh, it was it was just an amazing sight. Uh, just looking at Richmond in the newspaper, yeah. just filled with people. Yeah. Just the happiness. Not all the nonsense we got going on with these killings and all that. Yeah. It's, we were together, everybody happy. I remember the second championship in my limo getting on 59. People stopped on the highway, started sweeping their brooms on the highway. <laughs> People yeah. are just cheering, nobody mad about traffic, everybody getting out their car. It was just, it was amazing to see a city come together like that. Yeah. And most important, I met my lovely wife, you know. Of course. So that's another little feather to the cap. So I got to meet my wife, Gina Gaston. You know, she covered me through the finals, you know. So I got to meet her too. So a lot of good things came out those championships. I tell you that. <laughs> I didn't realize that's when you two met. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, she covered me. And then, you know, things just rapidly picked up and, Three kids later, and <laughs> great. Life is good. Yeah. And your boys, uh, I, I, twin boys, right? Aren't they playing ball today? I have, I have two boys and a girl. I have triplets. Excuse my me. My daughter okay, goes awesome. to UT. Uh, uh, my middle son, Glenn, goes to Arizona State. And my son's going to play basketball at St. Edwards in Austin. That's awesome. I'm super excited. My wife is doing great on TV. I'm on TV with the Rockets. Yeah. I mean, talking about my Rockets. So life is good. <laughs> Congratulations. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and also I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, your time coaching as well. Like what was the experience like uh, being on the other side as actual coach, um, being able to help develop different type of players on different teams? How was that a whole experience? really enjoyed that. I want to thank Coach Greg Popovich for that because he was the first guy who reached out to me as far as coaching. Uh, once I retired, uh, I think Phoenix was my last year in 2001. They asked me to come back for another year. I didn't know if I was ready for the summer grind. I was 37 going into 38. Um, Scott Skiles really loved me. He ended up hiring me later as Orlando as assistant coach with him. He saw what I brought to the team. I sort of went to Phoenix, you know, to play like 10, 15 minutes back up Penny and uh, Jason Kidd. But Penny ended up getting hurt, blowing out his knee again. And I ended up being in the starting lineup. I'm like, Lord. I'm at 37. I'm starting trying to keep up with Jason Kidd and Sean Marion on the break. These dudes are fast as heck. So I'm playing with this group. And um, they asked me to come back. But I said, nah, I want to have kids with my wife. I'm glad I did it because we had to go through in vitro. 
And then uh, a year later, I got a call from R.C. Buford, and uh, yeah. GM of the Spurs. He's like, Mario, won't you come down to camp, check out, see if you, you know, we would like to invite you down here, see if you, you know, just to come see what the coach is. The thing I didn't realize, how they kill guys back there. I'm, I'm wondering what the hell they were saying about me. I remember the coaches me, Pop said, we're going to let him practice the next day, and we're going to cut him. I'm like, damn. <laughs> wow. If this guy can't play, we just go use him up for practice. Then we'll cut him later. I'm like, whoa. Oh, <laughs> what the hell they were saying about me? <laughs> yeah, man. And I'm like, man. But I really enjoyed it. You know, I said, okay, good. I really had a good time with them. They were like, Mario, we don't have nothing this year. I said, Pop, just keep me in mind anything come up next year. Then, of course, Mike Brown then goes to Indiana. Yeah. And then a spot opens up. I'm in uh, California with the family on vacation. Phone rings. It's a 210 number. I'm like, who the hell is this? And it's Popovich. Popovich said, Mario, I done got 2,000 calls about this job today. It's yours if you want it. Uh-huh. I said, bro, fax me the contract. <laughs> I'll be there. So that's sort of how my coaching career started. I sort of messed up because I was with the Spurs for a year. My buddy Chris Mullen took over Golden State. We went to high school together. Biggest mistake I made in my life. He offered me a lot of money to help him be assistant up there. I should have stayed with the Spurs, but I did not. It is what it is. The next year they go on and win it. Oh, and I'm here at Golden State getting my ass kicked every night. I'm making (laughs) money, but I'm getting my butt kicked every night. But it was sort of tough. The the young guys are different. Um, I'm from the... I'm from the school. Okay, we lost a couple of games. Let's get back in the gym. A lot of these guys' mentality are different. They don't like to work. Uh, they don't like to get. To- they don't like being told stuff. I mean, accountability is big as as far as being a coach. If you do something wrong, we are gonna tell you. We're not being critical of you. A lot of these young guys take it as criticism. You know, like Kevin Durant. Why are you reading everybody? People gonna say <laughs> that about you. Yeah. Stop sensitive. All these guys, you can't say nothing about nobody no more. If you make it fifty million, and you stink up the bed, you gonna get talked about. Yes. <laughs> That's part of it. Westbrook, <laughs> LeBron. I'm sort yeah. of this is sort of hard for me right now, guys. Because if you're a player, and like guys getting fans kicked out the game, yeah. I played in New York where I heard some of the craziest stuff. As long oh, as you don't touch me. You can say whatever you want. My reward is when we beat your ass, walking <laughs> up the court, looking at your face. Like me and Vernon, boy. We used to come off of Utah when we used to beat oh, Utah. Yeah. Me and Vernon looking at the crowd, saying all kind of stuff to them. They're just so mad. Yeah. That's, that's part of being an athlete. Let these people say what they want. But once you beat them, what they going to say then? They yeah. say nothing. Why are you getting people kicked out? Stop having rabbit ears and focus on what's going on on the court instead of what's going on on the sideline. That's my problem new NBA. Say what you want. Drink all you want. But once you lay a hand on me... That's a different story, yeah. <laughs> talk all you want. I couldn't care. I, I done heard some crazy stuff talking about my mama, but it's all good. But once we beat you and I see that look on your face, I did my job. Yeah. Well, what was the toughest place to play for in a road game in that, in that Everybody. Game? I was bad. The garden was bad. Uh, old Blazer Stadium. When oh, the, yeah. Old stadiums, when they right on top of you. We had that guy in Washington, Robert Hinkle. He was great. He oh, sat right yeah. behind the bench and just talked mess all game. <laughs> Barber guy in Detroit who just cut you out. I mean, he had some notable great fans that always, when you come to town, they'll just ride you. But you love, we on the bench laughing. I remember playing with Portland. I remember Terry, he told, uh, the guy said, uh, Terry Porter, uh, hair don't grow on rocks or something. He said, you know, Terry had a rock head. So he <laughs> yeah. said, talk about Terry's up there. We just all on the bench laughing. Because he says, right, Rob Hinkle, I think is his name. He used to sit yeah. right behind our bench and just, and he was funny. You got a guy in Philly who just talks mess. But that's part of it. That's part of it. <laughs> Yeah, and again, we're joined by Mario Ailey, of course, three-time NBA champion. And, of course, we can talk about your career for, like, two or three hours. But uh, I definitely want to get your – Exactly. I definitely want to get your opinion on the current Rockets and um, how you feel about them. Um, I wanted to kind of start with last year um, where Rockets brought in 
four uh, first-round picks, something they haven't done in forever, if ever, if they've ever done that. What was kind of your opinion on how they played last year, especially players like Jalen Green and Alperin Shangun? What was kind of your impression, you know, watching them close? Of course, you're a, a TV analyst for A&T Sportsnet. But what was kind of your opinion watching them uh, last year? I always knew about Jalen Green L because I remember uh, my son was in the AAU circuit. Yeah. So it was the 10th grader they were talking about. And, you know, and when you go to AAU events, when there's a top player, they gravitate towards yeah. that uh, court. I'm like, okay, there's a packed court over here. I'm like, why is everybody over here? There's a young guy, 10th grader, Jalen Green. I'm like, who? I'm like, who is this? And then I see the kid, pretty hair. Old <laughs> I'm like, who is this dude? Or you see that dude on the court, fast, athletic. So I knew about Jalen in 10th grade. So when we got him, I was very, very excited because he has that Kobe type of mindset. He wants yeah. to, he don't want to be good. He wants to be great. And I sort of saw that in him. And we saw flashes of it the last 20 games of the season. Yeah. This dude can, once he figures a couple things out, I thought he improved defensively uh, throughout the year. I thought his playmaking improved. But to me, Jalen Green is a walking bucket. If you want to get a bucket, just get the ball of that young boy's hand, something good's going to happen. Shangun, I love. Like I told Coach Silas when I saw him at practice the other day, I need Shangun to score on the box more. That's going to set up his passer. He'll get it down there. He'll have a guy on his back do all this and kick it out. No. Finish it. Once you start punishing him, then that's going to set up his passer. Yeah. And Coach Silas said, next time you see him, tell him. So I'll make sure <laughs> when I see Shangun, I'm going to tell him. Like our length, I saw some of our rookies, they need to get in the weight room and eat some food. A lot of these guys are super skinny. So a lot of these dudes need to, to, to get in the weight room. I'm intrigued by the guy who's putting on my number. I already put the yeah. tweet out. If you go wear number 17, sorry, <laughs> we need that junkyard dog because you have P.J. Tucker and Mario yeah. Elliott who wore that 17. So we need that same junkyard dog mentality from him. And I've been hearing a lot of good things about him. Um, the guy that sort of – two guys that puzzled me a little bit are Gawaba. Yeah. When is he going to play? I heard he's hurt again. He might not play in the summer league. Oh, wow. And Josh Christopher is an interesting kid. I know he works hard. I always had just questions about is he a point guard or is he a two-guard? What, yeah. is, what is Josh Christopher? Because I think his decision-making – you know, his decision making. To me, he's a little he's a little undersized to be a prototypical NBA too. Yeah. And uh to me, if he would make better decisions, because to me the last 20 games he was pretty impressive, but he was scoring the ball. You know, he was scoring the ball. To me, I don't know what he is. That's the that's a big question, especially that we drafted another point guard, and then we got a G League point guard right in Knicks, right? And yeah. we got Porter. So there's gonna be a lot of the questions that's going to need to be answered there uh, with the with with that position. We got a lot of guys. We got a lot of point guards. We got a lot of wings. You know, we got KJ. We got Jay Sean Tate. So we got some tough – and we got Eric Gordon still. You know, so there's a lot of tough – thank God Steve Steven Silas got to make those decisions, not me. It's going to be interesting what happens uh, today and as we go forward in the summer league. Really, really looking forward to see Jabari Parker. I want to see – you say you got a chip on your shoulder, son. I want to see that chip. Yeah. You know, I want to see that chip during the summer league. There's a lot of good rookies that are going to be playing in this summer league. Starts tonight. And I'm, I'm real excited, man. Rafael and the Fatita had did a great job in the draft. I mean, we picked some solid players. So I'm interested to see how it all comes together. You mentioned the, the young players, and you know, today that there's – maybe a work ethic or, you know, get out there on the, after a loss or something like that. Maybe that's why Jabari Smith seems to stick out a little bit. At least so many reports are that this is a guy who, you know, is up at five, 6 a.m. every day is his whole life shooting and playing. Uh, and just, you know, his whole desire is to win, not so much the stats. Does, does that jump off the page uh, for you? Just given the, I guess maybe the, uh, the culture NBA culture that we see today, that, that, that kind of thing sticks out. That's good, but you gotta show it to me on the court. All that, all that good stuff sounds good, but once you step on the hardwood, let's see what you can do. 
Okay, you're not in college no more. You're playing against NBA-ready guys. You're playing against grown men. You're playing against guys trying to get in the training camp. So it starts tonight against the number one pick, you know. So this is going to be a good test for them. I'm bummed I ain't going there tonight, but I get to catch them against Sunday, Saturday against Chet. So Chet talks <laughs> yeah. a lot of shit. So we're going to see Chet going to be talking a lot of men on Saturday. So hopefully our Rockets are ready. He's talking a lot of bets right now. I'm like, dude, you're too skinny to be talking a lot. <laughs> but it's going to be interesting. My thing is you do your talking on the basketball court. So it's going to be interesting how he starts. I know he I know he wants to prove that he was number one. But I just hope just play your game, bro. We got a good we got a good summer league team. So yeah. really glad to see these young guys hit the, hit the floor. Yeah, and speaking of young guys, something I want to get your opinion on because we see it a lot. Um, especially just within the media, like when you're a rebuilding team, they don't really want veterans playing a lot of men's. But can you speak to the importance of having a player like Eric Gordon? I know it's been a lot in the media about possibly him getting traded, but can you win with a team that only has a bunch of 19, 20, 21 year olds? Don't you need veterans like a Eric Gordon to show them exactly how to play in the NBA? My guy, my prototypical veteran in the NBA is Al Harford. Yeah. That's the kind of guy you need on your squad when you have a young team. You always need that veteran. When I got in the NBA, it was Chris Mullen, Mitch Richmond, Tim Hardaway. Took me under the wing immediately. You know, they taught me how to – that's why I wear number 17. A lot of people don't know it's because of Chris Mullen. Oh, okay. Because I, I got my first year in the league. We had a little success. I'm thinking I'm all that. I go to New York, hang out with my people. I get a call two, three weeks after the season. And it's Chris Mullen. I'm like, dude, what you calling me for? I'm in New York partying, having fun. He said, dude, it's time to get ready for the next season, bro. Get get your ass back out here. <laughs> I never forgot that. That's why I lasted so long in the NBA. I worked so hard in the offseason because of him. Yeah. You know, I worked so hard because of him. And a veteran, like you said, we don't have those veterans like that no more. You know, Al Harford to me is the perfect vet on your team. He's quiet. He lets his game do the talking. His teammates love him. I mean, the Boston Celtics rave about Al Harford. Those are the type of guys that that you definitely need. I would love to keep Eric Gordon. What I'm hearing, they would love to keep Eric Gordon, but of course he's in high demand. It depends what Eric wants. Do you want to win a championship, E? I know Philly and the Lakers want him. Or do you want to help you know, build our young guys up here in Houston? He seems to be comfortable down here. I would love for EG to stay with us because we definitely uh, – I was talking to Coach Silas yet, uh, the other day. He's like, man, we young. I'm like, 19, 20. He was telling yeah. me about eight or nine guys under 21. So a good crafty vet who still can play like Eric and Al, those guys are invaluable. It's the veterans that still can play that guys are listening to. Guys ain't going to listen to a veteran sitting at the end of the bench, maybe yeah. like a Udonis Haslam who don't never damn play. You know, he has credibility. But you got guys like Al and E who are still playing at a good level, yeah. you know, and that guys would listen to guys like that. Very Sounds important. like this. Wow. Yeah, I think they're going to have to make a couple of changes, like you said, maybe add a veteran. <clears throat> um, you know, the Kevin Durant trade possibility is still holding everything up, and I think that probably holds up the Eric Gordon decision as well. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. That's the new NBA. Guys sign a big deal and want to get out because it gets hard. That's the new NBA. No guys want to endure it. You sign the deal, you should be committed to that team. So if you want to go to another team, we're going to cut this contract up and let the other team give you the contract. It kills yeah. when guys sign for the bag and things don't go their way and they want to get out. Yeah. Come on now. That's not how life works. Suck it up. Suck it up. Do something about it. You Kevin Durant. You That's what you said. I'm Kevin Durant. That's what your name is, right? Kevin Durant. So let's go. Let's do what Giannis is doing. Giannis don't yeah. complain. Giannis put his head down and get it done. Giannis don't complain about nothing. He just goes and balls and gives you 150%. That's why I'm a Giannis fan. Because he don't want to go nowhere. He don't want to work out with nobody. You're the competition. You're the enemy. I don't want to work out with LeBron James. I want to bust LeBron James. That's the mentality I'm missing yeah. from these young guys nowadays. But Giannis has that. That's why I love Giannis. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. And, of course, we know that all too well a little bit here in Houston with the old James Harden situation. Um, but that's a whole different story. Um, exactly. 
Uh, but I wanted to ask you before we wrap it up, I wanted to ask you about Coach Silas because you're there with him every single day. Of course, a lot of people just see the wins and losses and they don't necessarily see all the work that he puts in every single day. So what can you tell us about Coach Silas that a lot of fans and people that don't aren't around the team a lot may not know about uh, Coach Silas? Coach Silas got NBA pedigree in his blood. His dad was an amazing player. Uh, his dad was a, g- a good coach in the league. So he has tremendous experience. He's been around the NBA forever. I mean, 20 plus years as an assistant coach at different places. I mean, the guy's been waiting on his chance forever. He's been ready. I mean, when his dad was coaching Charlotte, uh, Stephen was running the practices. Yeah. It wasn't his dad. Stephen, way back then, was running the practices for Charlotte. You know, so it was just a matter of time you know, before he gets this opportunity. And and he's even a better human being. That's most important. He's a great coach, but he's even a better person. Coach Silas, sit down and talk to you forever. He just came up, I came to the practice just to come see the guys. He comes down to sit and we met him just chat for 25 minutes about life, kids, basketball. Just a guy who's very approachable, you know. He's very approachable. And he's a very patient man, as you see. We already got our thug on the sideline in John Lucas, so we already got our <laughs> thug on the sideline. So you need a guy to sort of balance that out. And that's yeah. what I think him and – I think Lucas and Silas are a great combination, sort of like fire and ice, you know. Yeah. Uh, Steven's the ice. And, you know, Lucas, Lucas going to get on you, you know. He's going to get on you. So just a good man. I'm very happy he finally got the opportunity to coach. He's been going – he's been trying to be a head coach for years. I think this is a right fit. And uh, I feel we're going to win us some more games this year. I'm real excited about our trajectory. I'm hearing good things about KPJ, that he's in the lab constantly. He's in Miami working. He's in New York working. So it's good that he got a little wake-up call because Christian Wood was moved. So just because you're a good player don't mean you're going to be around forever. So I'm sure he took heed to that. (laughs) I could be next. Yeah. So yeah, this is the business of basketball, you know. You got to be a pro, you got to be a good guy, and you got to be a good leader. So I think I'm I'm expecting a big, big year for KPJ. I'm like what I'm hearing from everybody said he's been working. And like I tell you, I saw Jalen Green. I don't worry about Jalen. Jalen's always in the gym. So, so yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, I mean, first off, I want to, again, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, it's been a blast. Absolutely. I can talk to you for multiple hours, so hopefully we can have you well, we back on the show. Y'all. That's what we do. We can talk <laughs> home all day, man. <laughs> and I, I can sit back and listen all day, so I have Same, no problem man. with that. Uh, so I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been it's been definitely an honor. It really man, has. Love both you guys. I appreciate you guys supporting the Rockets the way you guys do. We all a family here, you know. Mm-hmm. We all part of the Rocket family. We all want to see him do well. And, Al, I'm always reading up on you. You got a lot of good stuff. So keep doing Thank what you're you. doing, Thank my you. brother. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh, man, I appreciate that. That's, that's great to hear. Um, I mean, I'm going to tell my father you said that. He's going he's gonna <laughs> to absolutely <laughs> love Absolutely, I will. Freeze with me. I'm ready. I can't go, but I can still shoot, though. Don't forget. I, I, I think my father can still get off some set shots, so he might take me up on that. Let me know if he's ready. First to ten. Let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, again, thank you so much for joining me. And yeah, thank you, also, amazing. Dave, yeah, thank you, Dave, as usual. Oh, of course. God, man. That's a great chat with some good people, man. Appreciate both of you guys for having me. See if you could spot me in Vegas on Saturday, brother. I'll be at the game Saturday. Go Rockets. Go Rockets. <laughs> yeah, we absolutely be looking out for you. And definitely good luck at heading out there. And hopefully hopefully have a good time. I'm, I'm expecting you will out there in Vegas. So The thing about Vegas, guys, before I go, it's yeah. just it's beautiful for a basketball junkie. You yeah. got games from 1 in the morning to 9. You got two gyms going. So. Yeah. And you see everybody in the NBA in there. You're running to John Wall, Kevin Durant, LeBron, just coming by, visiting John Morant. All these guys in there supporting the teams. It's just a great environment for basketball, the basketball community. You get to see my boy Robert Ory, Chucky Brown. They all go be oh, a yeah. retired players. So it's going to be a fun weekend. Get to see Sam. You know, he's with the Sixers. So get oh, yeah. to see him. So a lot of good rocket guys still out there doing their thing. So good to catch up with my brothers out there. So yeah, awesome. absolutely. We'll all be watching tonight as the Rockets take on absolutely. Orlando. Yeah.
Absolutely. We'll all be tuning in. I, I look forward to hearing your tweets after the game, man. All right. <laughs> oh, you, you already know I'll have my, my opinions out there for sure. So <laughs> it definitely will Good. happen. Good. Yeah, I definitely thank everybody for joining us and watching. Um, we will definitely have this show up later on today. And again, thanks, Mario, for joining us. And as always, we appreciate everyone you know checking us out every day. We'll have another show tomorrow. So make sure you check us out tomorrow for our next episode of Roxfield Podcast presented by Clutch Fans. Yeah, make sure we get my Clutch Fan, my boy there, Clutch Fans, a hit, all right? Don't <laughs> I just hell, hit my boy on the Clutch Fans also, fellas, all right? Absolutely. Great rocket supporters here. So. <laughs> Thank, you, Mario. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you. Thank you, Mario. With the kiss of death, all right? <laughs> That's a perfect ending right there. <laughs> Good yeah. to with you guys, man. All right. Thank you, Mario. Thank you.